the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. While I fly back from Eastern Europe, you get a chance to hear John Hinderaker of Minneapolis. He's got one of the most important websites on the web. One of the brightest men in America today. Well, thank you for that, Dennis. I appreciate it. I am indeed John Hinderacher from Powerline filling in for Dennis today. It's going to be a fun three hours. We've got some terrific guests coming up. I want to start the show by just talking briefly about yesterday's biggest uh, news story, which is the resignation of Andy Cuomo as uh, governor of New York. Uh, and I think there's several features of that story that are kind of interesting. Um, for, for one thing, we have the farewell speech that, that Governor Cuomo gave in which he portrayed himself as a hero. And this is very typical of our times. You know, he, he goes out protesting his innocence. He says that this whole uh, groping scandal is uh, politically motivated. That was the phrase he used. He's been accused by something like 17 women, probably all of whom are uh, are Democrats. I'm a little unsure, unsure exactly how it's politically motivated. But he cast himself as in a kind of a heroic light because uh, he, he didn't want uh, his ongoing travails to be a distraction when the state of New York is is facing so many important issues. And therefore, he's doing everyone a favor by stepping down. Uh, that's the way he uh, he portrayed it himself. And 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 his his resignation was greeted very positively by his fellow uh, Democrats and um, and Joe Biden, for example, stirred a little controversy when he uh, he welcomed the resignation. But he said that Cuomo did quote a hell of a job close quote as governor. Now a lot of people would would beg to differ with that, particularly New York residents who had uh, aged uh, parents and grandparents in uh, in nursing homes in that state. But I think one of the things going on here is that the um, uh, the, the Democrats are, are 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 trying to put behind them uh, a number of things here uh, that they that they really don't want to talk about, and and that's why we see Joe Biden. And by the way, am I the only one when Joe Biden says uh, Cuomo did a hell of a job as governor? Am I the only one who's reminded of? Uh, 2005, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, when George W. Bush said of a guy named Brown, who at that time was the head of FEMA, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. And, and of course, not long thereafter, Brownie was out of his job. And the Democrats never let uh, Bush uh, forget that. Uh, I have a feeling that, that Biden's congratulations to uh, Andy Cuomo are going to be forgotten a a lot sooner. So what I think is going on here is that the Democrats really want to pretend that everything that's been going on here surrounding Governor Cuomo is just about 
a few misunderstandings between him and, and various women. And there's a number of things that they want us to forget. And, of course, foremost is the disaster in New York State's uh, nursing homes. And they want us to forget the investigation into whether Cuomo or his staffers actually committed a crime by lying to federal investigators about their nursing home policies. And then there's the way that the press fawned over over Governor Cuomo. I mean, it was embarrassing, uh, the things that they were writing about him as America's most popular politician, and he's the control freak that America needs at this point in his history. And, and of course, the ones who fawned most loudly of all were the people at CNN, including Cuomo's own brother. And and here we take the scandal into the realm of journalism. It's just outrageous that night after night, CNN would have these puff piece interviews where their alleged reporter is interviewing his own brother, talking about what a terrific job Cuomo was doing as as governor of New York. And, uh, and, again, and I, I want to thank you all for, and Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Yeah, there it was. There it was. Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that this uh, that was reminded of that, but it certainly came to mind. Well, and and then and then don't forget that 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 Governor Cuomo actually received an Emmy. He got an Emmy for his press conferences where he would go on and talk about COVID. And the only reason for that was to stick it to Donald Trump, who at that time had been doing his own press conferences as president talking about COVID. And so it's just another another example of the entire liberal establishment coming together to to push a narrative. And 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 then, of course, we don't want to forget that that Governor Cuomo got five million dollars from a subsidiary of Penguin Random House to write a book about leadership, supposedly based on the terrific, terrific job that he uh, that he did on uh, on COVID. All those things. Uh, Cuomo will keep the five million bucks, but all of those things are going to be swept down the memory hole. Uh, because uh, they are embarrassing uh, to the Democrats. Now, Democrats uh, generally don't embarrass easy, but I think these things uh, are all matters that they would rather we not be reminded of, and therefore uh, Andy Cuomo has been hustled off the stage. And what it means for New York remains to be seen, but uh, the, the Attorney General, uh, Letitia James, uh, uh, reportedly uh, is looking to get uh, Cuomo's job. She wants to be governor. And she is one of a number of left-wingers in the Democratic Party in New York who think that Cuomo was too moderate. And, uh, and it may well be that uh, Cuomo's demise uh, uh, could mean that before too long, New York State will go full AOC. Uh, that remains to be seen. So anyway, I think there's some interesting features of yesterday's uh, sudden resignation, sudden but not surprising resignation of Governor Andy Cuomo. We are joined now, I think. Have we got Steve on the line? Yeah, we are joined now by Steve Hayward, one of my partners in crime at Powerline. Steve, I don't even know how to introduce you these days. A professor at University of California at Berkeley, author of The Age of Reagan, as well as the just-published biography of Stanton Evans. Anything else we should uh, toss in there? Uh, well, only that I usually describe myself as an inmate at UC Berkeley, because that's more accurate. 
All right, an inmate at UC Berkeley. And Steve, the thing I want to talk about uh, for the next several segments, actually, is is another big news story of the last couple of days, or allegedly big news story, and that is the release of the latest report by the Intergovernmental uh, uh, Panel on Climate Change. And, of course, this is their period. Is this report number six, Steve, that they've done? I, I think it's either six or seven. I've lost count, but it doesn't matter. They're all the same. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So the inter- intergovernmental panel on climate change is 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 referred to in the press as though it was this kind of impartial committee of scientists, but really what it is is the club. I mean, it's the you know it's the cabal of of people who are making their living off uh, global warming hysteria. At least that's how I think of it. Is that too harsh? Oh no, no. They, they, you know, they're very careful to select only a very narrow range of participants who are going to agree with the party line. That's absolutely correct. And so the release of this report uh, had the uh, effect that was intended, really the only effect that was intended, and that is to generate a bunch of hysterical headlines around the world about how we're all doomed as a result of global warming. We only have so many years to 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 save the planet. And, and, and this time they really mean it, though. This is report number six or seven. They've been saying the same thing for, I don't know, 20 years or more. And so, so, so I guess my first real question for you, Steve, is you know, what is in this report, and what is in this report that is that's that's new or that's different? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm giggling because uh, there's always a two-step involved with this. The full report, uh, and by the way, this is only the first third. Of, there'll be two more parts coming out early next year. But this is the part of the report that always gets the most headlines. It's supposedly on the science of climate change. This year, the report is the full report is almost three thousand pages long, which means no one will read it, let alone digest it. Uh, and what always gets the headlines is the UN always puts out about a twenty-page summary for policymakers. They call it, and that's the one where you get things like it's code red for humanity, and we're running out of time, and you know the world's going to come to an end. And it turns out, if you get into the actual full science report itself which I do periodically, I've only looked at a tiny little bit of this new one because who's going to read 3,000 pages? You find that what the media is saying and what the summary for policymakers that the bureaucrats write says doesn't always match up with what the science report says. So, you know, I I put it out a couple weeks ago on Powerline that Science Magazine, fully in the mainstream, quote-unquote, of the quote-unquote consensus, said, gosh, there are a lot of scientists who say there are problems with these computer climate models. And the real bombshell of that review was when somebody recently took the climate models and tried to plug in data from the past. Hey, Steve, 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 we're up against a hard break, but I want to pick okay. this up. We'll, we'll, we'll be right back after these commercial messages with more on the climate models. Uh, again, I, I want to thank you all for and Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. How much equity do you have in your home? 50,000, 100,000, more? Cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners that the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic criminals will come after you. Home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes. In fact, Home Title Lock 
America's leader in home title protection, is alerting homeowners they could already be a victim and not know it. Here's how it goes down. First, cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high-equity homes. Next, they pull your home's online title, forge your signature stating you sold your home, and take out loans using your equity. You're not covered by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. Protect your most valuable asset, register your address now to see if you're already a victim, and receive a complete title history of your home. A $100 value free. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, so I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. I'm really happy. It's, it makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. Come back to the Dennis Prager Show. We are talking with Stephen Hayward about the just-released UN IPCC report on the imminent demise of the Earth due to global warming. And Steve, before the break, you were just starting to explain that this entire global warming hysteria is based on model projections, but the scientists, the scientific portion of the IPCC report is starting to acknowledge that there are some really serious problems uh, with those models. Let's pick it up there. Yeah, this is hard to explain in simple terms, but I'll try. You know, there's a famous quote from the late James Q. Wilson, one of the most prominent uh, conservative political scientists of the last generation. Anyone said the social scientists, Quit trying to predict the future. You can't even predict the past. And that turns out to be exactly true of climate modeling. Uh, uh, the scientific community that works on this recently tried to backtest some of their models to data uh, we've generated from thousands and thousands of years ago and found that the models generated temperature predictions that were way off from what the temperature records were able to figure out actually were. So come to the current uh, um, uh, report. And, you know, the problem with computer models is the old garbage in, garbage out. What do you put in the front end? Uh, well, you have to put in an emissions projection. How much greenhouse gas emissions are we going to emit from fossil fuels over the next 70, 80 years? And the last few reports from the IPCC, the last one being, I think, 2014, had these very high projections of what they thought we were going to do over the next century as the world develops and grows and so forth. Well, uh, as time has gone on, people look at those projections and say, those are totally unrealistic. Uh, and so the, uh, the latest report, the one just out, in the science sections contains this sentence. I'll quote it from it. The likelihood of high emission scenarios is considered low in light of recent developments in the energy sector. The translation is, what we've been saying before is all wrong. <laughs> and a few sentences further down, they say what's most likely now is, I'll quote here, approximately in line with the median scenarios. 
and I'm going for a long time about those scenarios and get very technical. But the point is, when you get into language, what you realize is they are drawing back from some of their scariest projections. And without those high emission scenarios, you can't get the disaster. In fact, now it really looks like, if you read the whole report, they say, by the way, we don't even, in fact, I'll quote it here, uh, no likelihood is attached to the scenarios assessed in this report. That's a big uh, climb back from the last report, which assessed a high likelihood for these high emission scenarios. So you can see the science, the real science of this, has actually gotten more modest. And now, if you read between the lines, they say, it looks like the worst case scenario might be three degrees of warming a century from now. That's assuming everything else is correct in these models and leave that aside for now. You know, that's not the end of the world. It would make some changes, but that's an entirely manageable problem, even if the worst case comes true. Well, and and um, I, I think even some of the um, alarmist scientists now admit that the models have been running hot, and and, and it's it's an obvious point, Steve. But one worth making: models are not evidence. A, a model is a right. hypothesis. It's a hypothesis, right. and a model is proved either right or wrong by experience. If a model predicts that in the next uh, 10 years we're going to have a one and a half degree uh, uh, net change in, in temperature and it doesn't happen, that means the model was wrong. And, and, and we've had these models around long enough now to be able to compare their projections with the actual temperature records. And, and they're wrong. I mean, they clearly are, are projecting temperatures that are, that are too high. I mean, isn't that, isn't that pretty plain? Yeah, I, I think to be precise, what we ought to say is most of the models are projecting temperatures that are too high or likely to be too high. It, it is important to remember that there really isn't just one model or one projection. There's usually at any given time 40 or 50 different model projections grouped into you know, families. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and Steve, let's talk a little bit about what's really going on with the Earth's climate. Uh, put, putting the projections to the side for the moment. Um, it, it, in my opinion, you tell me if you think this is right or not. I think it's an important point. I mean, in my opinion, the only really reliable temperature record that we have is the satellite record, which is public. It is transparent. Uh, and and it is not uh, hasn't been tampered with, and it's not thrown off by things like the urban heat island effect and so on. And unfortunately, that record only goes back to the late 1970s. But but a, do you agree that that is the only really reliable record we've got? And b, what does it show? To reconstruct temperatures going back earlier that are interesting. But yeah, the satellite record is only 42 years old. It showed a significant amount of warming between roughly 1980 and 1998. And that's been bouncing up and down within a range ever since then. Um, and every time you hear, oh, this was the hottest year ever, which we've heard three or four times in the last decade, it turns out it's hotter by a couple one hundredths of one degree. So the overall warming trend we saw for 20 years stopped about 20 years ago, and now it's been bouncing up and down in a range. So I think that's a significant point. And I'll mention, by the way, I actually know two of the scientists who developed that satellite program, uh, John Christie and Roy Spencer, and they're both deeply skeptical of the alarmist climate change narrative. Yeah, and, and, and rightly so, it's, it seems to me. Um, so, so we have not been seeing the kind of, of increase that the models, or some of the models, as you say, uh, have, been, have been projecting. And I think that's one of the reasons why the alarmists have, have talked about climate change and extreme weather events 
And one of the ironies here, I think, Steve, is that we have been living in an era of really benign weather for the most part and, and relatively few uh, adverse climate events. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think there's two points to be made about this. One is uh, the data for the U.S. anyway, which has the best data because we've been at it the longest, is landfalling hurricanes and tornado activity have actually declined over the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, and then second, if you want to measure the problem in terms of human well-being, which is ultimately what's important for the whole planet, uh, the number of deaths from climate-related um, uh, extremes has declined by 95% in the last century. Well, why is that? Because of economic growth and technology. So, you know, the best course, regardless of what you think about the risks in climate, the best course to safeguarding humanity is economic growth and technological progress uh, and not uh, this hair-shirt agenda of telling people in Africa and, and poor people in Asia that they can't have electric light bulbs. Yeah, you know, one thing that occurs to me, uh, Steve, is that um, it's been a while. Since, since certainly this country and I think other major crop, you know, agricultural sections of the world have experienced really adverse weather, particularly droughts. And I think about it because right now the western half of the United States is experiencing drought conditions. We're seeing some of that even here in Minnesota, uh, not so much to the south and, and to the east. But um, uh, the fact is droughts have been a fact of life throughout all of human history. And we've been very lucky in recent years not to have seen uh, much, much in that respect. Well, not only that, but one of the big question marks of the climate models, and the models will tell you this, is they're not they're divided about whether warming would increase drought or decrease it, or where, right? I mean, they'd be different in different parts of the world. And some projections think the western, southwestern U.S., where I live, which is now in a bad drought, might get more rainfall. Uh, hey, uh, let's leave it there, Steve, and come back after, uh, after these messages. We'll be right back with more. The Dennis Prager Show. Don't you get tired of commercials screaming at you to buy gold now with inflated promises on future values? In an unregulated industry, you need honest, real experts to give you solid advice to protect your wealth and top picks on the best coins and bullion. As environmental policy becomes a hot topic, one precious metal that's been significantly undervalued for years is potentially set to surge. Nick Grovich, owner of AmFed Coin and Bullion, has long recommended this precious metal. Up to 600,000 ounces of this rare metal will be needed by 2030 to produce green hydrogen. Nick is doubling down on this pick, and you should too. Call Nick at AmFed Coin and Bullion to find out more. I've been friends with Nick for years, and he's my go-to guy when it comes to coins and bullion. I trust him. That's a very big statement, by the way. Call Nick at 800-221-7694-800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. We are talking with uh, Steve Hayward about the latest IPCC Global Warming Report. And and before we uh, go any further, let's start this segment by taking a call. Let's go to... uh, Jeff in Minneapolis on line two. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, John. And I'm a longtime Powerline blog reader and really appreciate, John, your work, Steve, Scott, and even sometimes Paul. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) But my question question for Steve is there's been a growing U.S. corporate obsession with making very bold environmental commitment statements there have been an increasing number of very public CEO commitments to carbon neutrality. 
and even investment firms are building and promoting ESG-favored funds. What do you see as the impact of this type of ESG wokeness on U.S. businesses in the next five, ten years? Yeah, so I see this of a piece with corporate America also going whole in for, well, people call it woke capitalism, right? You've seen a lot of uh, major corporations make uh, not only statements but large financial commitments to Black Lives Matter. I think the climate business is, is similar. Uh, however, uh, one of the things that I notice is people are still going to drive their cars and people are going to still want their lights to come on. And that is going to mean, as a practical matter, we're going to be using fossil fuels for a long time to come. So, you know, what I think is uh, this is a little bit like the, uh, the war on the tobacco companies back in the late 1990s. And you know what? Yeah, smoking's declined, but people still smoke. And if you had bought stocks in the tobacco companies in the late 1990s when everyone thought they were finished, you'd have made a lot of money because they all bounce back. And I think that's true of energy companies. Uh, I'm not an investment advisor, but I observe that even with the run-up in oil prices and the energy sector surging on the stock market, uh, the uh, old-fashioned energy sector is still at its lowest point as a share of the S&P 500 in something like 50 years. That looks like a buying opportunity to me. Ultimately, markets speak louder than politics, although sometimes in the short run, politics can distort markets. Hey, Jeff, thanks for that call. Steve, I want to go back to something you were saying just before the break, and that is that global warming alarmists are not united in terms of whether the alleged climate change is going to involve more rain, more rain or less rain, which seems like an important point. So, so in the Western United States, we're seeing drought conditions. On the other hand, they've got flooding in, uh, in England and in, um, in Italy and in and in Germany, and I suppose the alarmists want to have it both ways. And in, in the U.S., they'll say, "Oh, look at the drought; that's climate change." And then in Europe, they'll say, "Look at all the rain; that's climate change." But they really can't have it both ways, can they? Well, they try to have it both ways. I mean, you know, when you point out record cold, which happens a lot lately, they, the the climatistas, as I always like to call them, they always rush to say weather is not climate, and that's true. But then whenever you have an extreme heat wave, they say, see, see, this proves, or some other thing, a bad storm, a flood, and so forth. Uh, One of the biggest problems in understanding the climate system is the oceans, which are obviously massive, and obviously the biggest heat sinks in uh, in the whole climate system. And although we're getting better at gathering data, we still can't predict ocean behavior very well. And so the problem with drought and also hurricanes is if you have a high El Nino, you know, a warming current in the Central Pacific, you tend to get higher rainfall by a lot in the western United States. Uh, and at the same time, you have lower hurricane activity out of the Atlantic. Flip that around. Uh, this has been true for 20 years. If you have um, a no, uh, what they call La Nina, which is you know, no big heat spike in the central Pacific, that's when you get more hurricane activity on average in the Atlantic and droughts in the southwest. So depending on, you know, if this continues to be random as it's been for, you know, forever, uh, then there's no way of predicting how things might go over, say, even a decade timescale. But if one condition or the other became more predominant, it would make a huge difference in how you would want to adapt and prepare for weather conditions. But we still have no grasp of that and no way of predicting that with any reliability right now. 
See, we've got just one minute to go before a break, but, but let me just get your thoughts on this. It seems to me, you know, the, the, the alarmists are always telling us it's a race against time to save the climate. I think they're racing against time. I think that with every year that goes by and their doomsday predictions fail to materialize, more and more people are getting skeptical about whether these folks really know what they're talking about. Do, do you think they're, can we be optimistic enough to think that this whole hysteria is going to fade away here before too long? Well, I won't say before too long. I think it's already faded some. It shows up in public opinion surveys. Uh, people always rank climate change at the bottom of the list of things that worry them. Uh, and I think in general, there's apocalypse fatigue, as I call it, as set in quite a while ago. And I think as a general matter, the scientists, I think the whole COVID business uh, is another example of this. Hey, we got to go to a break, Steve, but we'll be right back after these messages. The Dennis Prager Show. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. We're talking with Steve Hayward about climate change. And um, if you want to get on the air, the number to call is 877-243-7776. That's 877-243-7776. Let's start this segment with a call. Uh, Rusty in Bakersfield, California. Rusty, welcome to the program. How are you doing this morning? Good. Thank you. So my, my point I want to make real quick is, and, and I've been working with computer models for over 40 years, is, you know, when we're trying to prove a hypothesis, to prove them right, we feel, try to field verify it. We do a sensitivity analysis on the variables. But my issue with the CO2 climate models is you can't prove them wrong. And that's one of the things we do with models is try to prove them wrong because if we can we go back to the drawing board but with the co2 climate model maybe a thousand years from now ten thousand we could prove them right or wrong but as of today there's no way to do that well there's no way to do it and and they'll never admit that they're wrong you know they'll just say oh well you know we got to tweak this or oh that was the the heat is hiding deep in the oceans or you know there's they they don't really consider these models to be falsifiable steve is that a fair statement oh yeah that's absolutely rusty's absolutely right about this um i'll just say i know one a quite prominent physicist i won't say his name because this is a private conversation but he's been deeply involved in this world for quite a long time and he's neutral on the whole climate change business because he says, uh, I don't think the models can ever get it right. I think it's just too complex a problem for a current level of knowledge and computing power. You know, all these models run basically on these cray supercomputers that take quite a long time to do. And with that many variables, I mean, I'm no expert on this. But I try to talk to some. It seems to me that it's always going to be a movable feast. All right. Thanks, Rusty, for that call. Steve, I want to ask you one more question on this topic and then move on to something completely different. And, and that question is this. Uh, I am really concerned that the big tech companies, the social media platforms, are going to use this latest IPCC report, even though it really adds nothing new or uh, important. But I th- I'm afraid they're going to use it as an excuse to shut down debate on uh, climate change on the Internet, as they have done. Uh, with COVID and with the uh, 2020 election. What, what do you think about that? Oh, it's already happening. I mean, I've seen a couple of examples already of Twitter removing some tweets that quote some of the things I already quoted and other things from the main report. In other words, and that's because, so by the way, you know, the headline, which says, you know, it's code red for humanity, the headline could be 
Good news. The extreme scenario that the IPCC saw most likely in 2013 is now judged low likelihood. That's what those passages I read and several others mean. That's not the press coverage. But if you tweet that out uh, and link it to the report, you, you have a good chance now of being struck down. I think it's absolutely correct that we have this orthodoxy across the board. It's on gender identification. It's on COVID. It's on race questions. That is now a narrow orthodoxy that is increasingly enforced by the tech companies. Quite right. Steve, I want to ask you about something completely different now, and that is your recent trip to Hungary and the fact that I think I think you just uh, shortly preceded Tucker Carlson's recent trip to Hungary. Talk about that a little bit, if you will. What what was the reason for your being there, and and what was your experience like? Yeah, well, uh, I heard I was there about three weeks ago, I think, and I heard that Tucker was coming. But they wanted to keep it quiet because they Tucker wanted to spring it on people, which he did. And the left absolutely freaked out last week when Tucker showed up for his nightly show from Budapest. And I think let us say right off that Tucker Carlson has really replaced Rush Limbaugh as the leading voice for conservatives in getting under the skin of the left. So I was not surprised at the freak out, uh, although it was bigger than I imagined. So here's the point about Hungary. It's... Um, I went to visit uh, John O'Sullivan, my old friend and longtime editor of Nash Review years ago. He's been inviting me to come over forever and to give a lecture to the, you know, the group he assembled there under the Danube Institute on what is going on in America. So I was there to talk about America with them because I'm no expert in Hungary. But I do know this from talking to people there and reading a few things is that Hungary and its ruling party and its Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, are actually determined to defend Western civilization. And that's what's got the left in such an uproar, and the European Union. So he's done things like, uh, uh, you know, ban gender studies in Hungarian universities. I wish some of our universities would take that step. Um, he's been tough on immigration. He's not going to take thousands of refugees and migrants but just because West Germany, West Germany, Germany demands them to do it. Uh, and so there's some problems. Uh, I think the allegations of corruption are, are serious. Uh, on the other hand, I wish our media would apply the same standard to what, oh, I don't know, the Clinton Foundation, just for starters, uh, or Andrew Cuomo's book deal. I <laughs> think you mentioned that earlier. Uh, so anyway, this is fun to watch that this tiny little country in Eastern Europe has got the American left and some never Trumpers on the right completely bent out of shape, which I kind of like. So the the claim that the left just just uh, recklessly throws around with respect to Hungary is that this is a fascist government that Orbán is a fascist leader. I mean, what, what what is that based on? Is is there any 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 basis for it? Well, uh, Orbán has made some actually pretty thoughtful speeches criticizing what he calls liberal democracy in the West. By the way, his critique is not unique to him, but that's a long story and saying maybe we ought to give illiberal democracy a try. Well, that's just waving red flag to a bull. I think his position is actually pretty coherent and interesting. I'll just give one example. There, there is a monument in downtown Budapest. I was near where I was staying. And it's a monument to the victims of the Holocaust in Hungary. It's very controversial because Hungary really collaborated with the Nazis and handed over a lot of Jews. But in front of it is this uh, sort of a, a wire line with, um, statements of protest against the monument. I don't know when the monument went up, but my point is a truly fascist country would not allow that kind of a dissent to be displayed in public. Um, so, I, I mean, I think the critics are completely overwrought, uh, and I don't think it reflects very well on the, on their grasp of reality. I, I'm all for Hungary right now. I'm, I'm very excited about the place. 
Well, everything I hear about it is terrific as a place to visit and as a, a place to, uh, to live. We are going to go to a break. When we return, we're going to take Jim's call uh, from Minneapolis and more here on the Dennis Prager Show. Green Police, protecting and conserving the earth. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. We're talking with uh, Steve Hayward. We've got a short segment here to end the hour. Let's go to a phone call. Jim uh, from Minneapolis on line one. Jim, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, John. Hi. I, I'm, I'm calling because I think the the way that the uh, environmental programs of, of the administration uh, are, are being sold are crazy. First of all, they're, they're talking about doing things domestically in the United States are going to have an impact on the whole world. And, and of course, it, there are no walls between, between China and, and the United States, and so there's nothing to stop that. And in China right now, they're building three coal-fired power plants every single month and in India, about the same number. And basically what's going on, no matter how much we spend here, basically the Chinese are going to benefit from from uh, basically having us make up for their their uh, uh, new coal fire plants, and, and they'll be more competitive than we are right now. There'll be no impact on the nation at all, because as long as we let these third-world countries build coal fire plants where we're shutting ours down. Yeah, it's a funny thing, Jim, too, because uh, China makes all the solar panels now using slave labor, and they also use uh, uh, coal-fired plants for the electricity to make our solar panels. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, Steve Hayward, comment on that? Oh, God, I could go all day about this, but since time is short, I'll just say, yeah, China's brilliant. They're selling us our solar panels and a lot of wind power stuff and our batteries for our Teslas. What are they doing? Well, Jim just said it. They're building coal-fired power plants. Also add this, I think there's about 25 nuclear power plants under construction around the world right now, and 20 of those are in China. So they're serious about energy, and they're also serious about selling us whatever foolishness we want to buy. Let's, uh, thank you for that call, Jim. Let's, let's go to uh, Maria in Granada Hills, California. Maria, we've got just about a minute. Okay, very good. Just real quick. Um, these computer models, yes, they can be twisted and falsified. With so much press um, hyperventilating about this, we don't get the clear picture. We need point, counterpoint. We need true scientists and experts coming to the table without being censored. For example, Fauci sold us a bill of goods on the Imperial College computer model of predictions. We have to be very careful about directing policy on models and not hearing the whole story. Thank you. Amen, sister. Amen, sister. Steve, just very briefly, it seems to me this is part of the whole thing about we, the rest of us all have to defer to the experts, right? Well, not only the experts, but the herd mentality in the media. I mean, remember that the media swooned over Andrew Cuomo was recently as three, four months ago. Look where he is now. And as far as the science on COVID or climate or all the rest, there, as I said earlier, there's now... So Maria lives in Granada Hills. I think the Los Angeles Times quite a while ago said they will no longer even consider letters to the editor that dissent about climate change. Yeah, all right. Steve Hayward, thank you for being on the Dennis Prager Show. We'll be back after these messages.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.